Hey, TBC family, how are you doing today? Come on, how are you doing today? You guys doing well? Any dads in the house? How many dads do we have in the house? Come on, let me see those hands. Let's give it up for the dads. Well, we're here on this Father's Day. I personally would like to thank Pastor Michael and Katie for not putting any pressure on the message today with that introduction. But, um, man, uh, it is so great to be with you guys. As Pastor Michael said, I'm one of the board members. And can I tell you, we actually had a board meeting uh, a couple weeks ago, and God is doing incredible things in this church and through this church. And you guys are a key part of what God is doing. And and he's using you to change this community in ways that uh, we are excited to see. So uh, from the board, man, you guys are doing an incredible job. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, listen, we know God has got some great things in store for the becoming. Amen? Amen. Well, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. You can turn to Matthew 6. Today um, is a very special day, Father's Day. But tomorrow is also a special day for our nation. In 2021, we as a nation officially recognized a, a holiday that's been celebrated for uh, over 100 years. It, it is the holiday of Juneteenth. In 1863, uh, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing all of those enslaved and indentured in the United States. But it wasn't until 1865 in Galveston, Texas, that the last group of enslaved people heard that they had been freed. And we celebrate that tomorrow as a nation. And I, for one, am thankful. We've got a long way to go, but I'm thankful for how far we have come. Amen. And just looking out and seeing the unity that we have here in this body, it's an incredible picture of what God wants to continue to do through racial reconciliation in this nation. And uh, so uh, make sure that uh, tomorrow you get a chance to just uh, think through uh, the past, but let's look towards the future. Amen? Because we get a chance in building a better nation. Well, uh, man, as Pastors Michael and Katie said, um, uh, man, we have been involved in their lives for years. They were actually our neighbors. We served on staff together, and it is a joy to be able to share with you today uh, this word. Uh, you know, recently, I, I have a friend who's a, a pastor, and uh, kind of been setting up the word today. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about something he's doing. He's currently working on an application and an online course for Christians, specifically pastors, teaching them to utilize AI technology. How many of you are familiar with that or you've ever heard of that AI? Now, this message is not on Revelation or the Mark of the Beast today, so what, whatever your thoughts are. But he, he, he's working on this and helping people uh, to be able to study Scripture in preparation for messages through cross-referencing and other things like that. And he recently sent me a beta version of his course to test drive. So I asked AI, I said, what are the two, or I said, what are two of the most important words in history? And, and, and this is what it said. This is what it responded. The two most important words in history are subjective and can vary depending on one's perspective and context. However, a case can be made for the following two words, love and freedom. These two words, love and freedom, encapsulate fundamental aspirations of the human spirit and have influenced the development of civilizations, the formation of societies, and the quest for a better world. And that last part of the answer led me to ask AI if it was actually 
competing in the Miss Teen Pageant America contest because it sounded suspiciously canned that last little bit. But uh, that was a joke, y'all. All right. But listen, on this Father's Day, I, I want to look at two of the most important words that Jesus ever spoke and what those words mean for us as believers. Because when the living word made flesh, God incarnate, Jesus speaks, it carries eternal and immense weight and power. And his words are efficacious in maturing and perfecting those who hear and believe his words. In Matthew 6, uh, we, we, we find these words that Jesus spoke, and it's in the middle of one of the greatest sermons ever, the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out this idea of what the gospel is and, and how we're to treat each other and how we're to live with one another and how we're to live and respond with God. And in the middle of this, in Matthew 6, he teaches them how to pray. He says this, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If you, if you have the app, you can actually pull up the app, the Becoming Church app. The notes are on there as well. And uh, if you haven't downloaded that app, what are you waiting on? Just go ahead and do it, all right? Anyways. Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus is teaching them. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father, our Father, would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we come to you today, and we are grateful for this opportunity to look to your word, the words that the living word spoke. And I pray, God, as we look at your word that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would plant that seed of your word in our hearts and that it would bear fruit in our lives, Lord, because we know you have a plan and a purpose for this church and for us, and Lord, we want to be a part of it. So we thank you for it. It's in your precious and mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our Father. When, when Jesus instructed his followers on how to pray, starting with the words, Our Father, it was a game changer. Until Jesus, no one really had addressed God in this personal manner. In fact, prior to Jesus, no one, not in Judaism or in any other religious tradition, spoke of God or to God as Father in the personal ways in which Jesus did. Now, it is true for, for you theologians that in the Old Testament, there were prophets that occasionally referred to, to God as the father of Israel, but it, it was never on a personal level, my father. And, and, and the fact that they rarely did so reveals that they didn't really perceive God or relate to God primarily as a father, certainly not in the way that Jesus did. And, and in and this so offended the religious people of Jesus' day, the way that he related to God as Father, that they wanted to kill him for it. In John 5, it says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father. There was a familiarity that Christ had that when the religious people saw that, it drove them to a point where they said, we have got to kill this guy. Jesus, he viewed God as his father the way that a child views a male parent who has begotten them. And to those Jewish leaders, it led to a blasphemy that was worthy of capital punishment. 
So when Jesus is teaching his followers how to pray, and he begins, in essence, by saying this, when you come to God, this is how you need to do it. God is your father. God is our dad. That thought had to be revolutionary to their cultural and spiritual mindsets. Jesus, whom John says, is the only son from the Father, wanted all of his disciples, who were not sons of God in the unique way that he was, to still relate to God as our Father. And when he provided a model and a pattern for how we should pray to God, the first thing he teaches us is this, to address God as our Father. That's powerful. Now, in quoting Jesus, Matthew uses the Greek word pater imon, our Father, pater, Father. And it's the equivalent to the Aramaic of the day for Abba, which was Daddy. And that was the term that every child would use when addressing their father, Abba, Daddy. Now, think about this for a moment. Can we just stop and ponder the significance about this phrase that Jesus is teaching us? Our Father in heaven. And consider the reality that it represents. God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, omnipotent. Think about this, omniscient. Jesus is telling us to approach him in a familial way as our father. Now listen to me today on this, on this Father's Day. Some of you, this may bring pain because of a relationship maybe you had with your father. Maybe he fell short. Maybe he disowned you, or maybe you've been orphaned, or maybe he let you down, as earthly fathers often do. But this morning, I want you to realize this. You've got to get this in your head, that you have a heavenly dad who loves you completely and will never stop loving you. He will never stop fighting for you. He will never stop forgiving you, and he will never stop providing for you. Come on, get that in your heart today. You have a father. And when Jesus includes us and teaches us to approach God in this way, it means several things, but I want to focus specifically on two things that it means for us today. First is this, when Jesus says our Father, it means this, that we belong. We are no longer outsiders. We belong. We are no longer outsiders. You know, most of us at some point in our lives have felt like we didn't quite fit in. Maybe that we didn't belong, right? It's, it's part of the human experience. Does anybody go through junior high? Right? We have all felt like outsiders at some point in our lives. I, re I remember a time where I felt like a complete outsider in my life. I was born and raised in Kalamazoo, Michigan, Midwest as you can get. Come on, any, any Michiganders here today? All right. Oh, more than I thought. Fantastic. All right. Excellent. Well, I married a southern girl from Mississippi whose family's roots were deep in the swamp of Louisiana. And I remember the first time she took me to a Louisiana 
family reunion. This Midwest boy was an outsider. I didn't even know if they were speaking English. Like we showed up and I was like, hey, no, so, 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 so. And, and I'm like, yeah, sure. And then they bring me a plate of squirrel. Right? I was like, I didn't know I was signing up to eat squirrel right there. I just, I didn't understand what the guy was saying, right? Like, listen to me. Every female animal was pregnant. Right? I mean, let that sink in. This is as swampy Louisiana as you can get. How many of you know I felt like an outsider? <laughs> Have you ever felt like that before? Maybe not quite like that, but maybe you felt out of place. Can I tell you this? The words our Father, when Jesus tells us to use them, are words of inclusion and belonging, not separation or exclusivity. He's not trying to exclude anybody from his kingdom. When he says them, it means that we all belong because we belong when we place our faith in Jesus. When we place our faith in him, we belong. Listen, aren't you glad that God doesn't exclude you because of your past? I know some of y'all's past, right? (laughs) Come on. But our gracious Father forgives us and loves us and makes a place for us. We belong because we have a mutual Father. When we truly repent and we turn to him and we place our faith in Christ, no matter what we have done, or the damage that has been done to us, God opens his arms as a loving father and embraces us as his child. John 1 tells us this in verse 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When we receive and we believe in Christ, we have the right to call God our Father. We belong by right. Secondly, not only do we belong when Christ says we pray our Father, it means this. Not only do we belong, but we are family. We are family. The words our Father pull us into community with all believers. Because to be, to be a follower of Christ means that you have community. You are part of a greater community. Even more than that, it means that you are part of a family. You've been grafted into his family, adopted in to his family. However, many believers may struggle in their mind and flesh because there's something that can be offensive about the word our to the natural mind and the sinful mind. When when people like this slow down and they think, who might be included in the our, they could start to get a little bit uneasy because the our includes people that aren't quite like them. No doubt the disciples struggled with who might be included in this our. Right After all, the our might include prodigal sons, Elder brothers, tax collectors, prostitutes, Pharisees, 
Gentile Roman soldiers, non-Jews, and rich young rulers, and impoverished widows and people, people unlike themselves. And in our current culture, we too have to fight off that same ideology, right? What could the list of people look like in our current culture that we might say would maybe make us uneasy? People of other races, people of other socioeconomic backgrounds, political liberals, political conservatives, activists or pacifists, urbanites or rednecks, natural-born citizens and immigrants. I think we could all agree on this one. People who listen to Nickelback. Right? People unlike us. Millennials and boomers. Listen to me. When we receive him and we believe him and we say our father We are in Christ, and when we are in Christ, the hour is about us, all of us. It's about each and every one of us being brought together into a beautiful family. 1 John 3 says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. I love that John doesn't say you, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. When we say our Father in unity with Christ, each of us from different backgrounds and cultures and ideologies are put in relationship with Christ as our older brother. And he invites us to address God in union with himself. And if we would pray with Jesus then we must pray with his people. If we would pray with Jesus, we must pray with his people. You could put it like this. Our Father, our family. Every one of them. And perhaps especially with those that we are not like. I want you to take a moment and look around this room. Go ahead, do it. I know when people say that. Look around at your brothers and sisters. Look around at your family. Some of us, stylish. Some of us, not so stylish. Right? All from different races. African-American, Caucasian, Indian, Latino, Asian, all of us, all of us from different economic backgrounds, people making minimum wage, millionaires sitting in here together, unified, because we have a father and we have a family. It's incredible when you think about the power of two words. Two simple words that can transcend cultures, that can transcend economic and, and, and other barriers and bring people together, unified, into a family. Now, one of the things I am not, I'm not a long-winded preacher. I thought I'd get a better amen on that. 
So as we get ready to land this plane in closing, I, w- I want to look at a few more things. When Jesus prayed those words, our Father, he was unifying us in purpose and in position. Because the words, our Father, carry the power to unify even the most diametrically opposed people. People who in the natural would not be brought together. But when we pray those words, we recognize and embrace their power to unify us through the Holy Spirit in our Father. In his personal correspondence with the reverends John Swamley and William Coffin Jr., who were both Caucasian ministers on the forefront of the fight for equality, Dr. Martin Luther King wrote to them and spoke of the unifying power of the two words from the Lord's Prayer. Words that had the ability to bridge racial divides and heal centuries of pain and brokenness. Words that could empower lasting forgiveness. Words, when uttered together, would bind people from all races and backgrounds together into one harmoniously beautiful family. The words he was writing to those clergy about, our Father. He talked about the significance of recognizing we come from the heart of God. Black, white, Latino, Asian, all of us, we come from the heart of God. We have a Father who loves us. And if our Father loves us, maybe he can empower us to love each other and love this world that so needs to hear the message of the gospel. Those words carry us a unifying significance for all believers, regardless of race or background or any other worldly division. Those words, our Father, foster unity through this, a common identity. Addressing God as our Father highlights a shared identity among all believers. It fosters unity through equality and worth. By referring to God as Father, Jesus implies that all believers, no matter their background, no matter their race, are equally valued and loved by God. It emphasizes that our worth and acceptance before God is not based on worldly status, but on relationship with Him as children. Those words foster unity through a mutual dependence. Recognizing God as our Father reminds us of our shared dependence on Him. It cultivates humility in us and an understanding that regardless of an individual circumstance or achievement, all believers are equally reliant on God's grace, His provision, and guidance. They foster unity through a shared purpose and a shared mission. The term our Father unifies us in in a shared purpose and mission as followers of Jesus Christ. It reminds us that we are all part of God's redemptive plan for the world and that we are all called to live out our faith in ways that reflect God's love and character. And last, they foster unity through reconciliation and healing. The acknowledgement of God as our Father calls us to pursue reconciliation and healing in relationships that may be divided in the natural. But recognizing God's fatherhood in our shared identity fosters 
healing and reconciliation among all believers. Simply put, Jesus' use of these two words unifies believers by emphasizing our common identity, worth, purpose, and dependence on God. And it serves as a reminder to the unifying power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, transcending worldly divisions and promoting unity and love and a mutual support among all who are followers of Christ. There is a power when he says, our Father. He's including us into his family. And because he's including us into his family, as John wrote, we have the right to be called the children of God. And today, if you're here on this Father's Day 2023, and maybe you've been running, or maybe you're the prodigal, or maybe you've never, ever heard the message of the gospel that's this, that Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross for our sins. He did what we couldn't do to pay a price we couldn't pay so that we could call God our Father. Today, if you're here and you need to give your life to Christ, you need to respond to him. Maybe you need to come home. You're a prodigal. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. In just a moment, we are all going to pray a prayer. But the Bible says this. It's very simple. If we receive him as who he is and we believe him, we then have the right to become children of God. So today, if you receive him as Lord and you believe him and take him at your word, you don't need to come down to this altar. You don't, you don't need to, to raise your hand. You know what you need to do? You need to walk out that door and live it. Because your relationship with Christ is bigger than a moment in a service. And I could emotionally pull your heartstrings and get you to come forward. But until you yourself recognize the goodness of God and the disparity of your situation, it won't motivate you. And no emotional moment will, will bridge that gap. But can I tell you today, when you see him for who he is, and you believe him, you can become family. You can become family. So if you need to give your life to him today, we're all going to pray the Lord's Prayer to close out this time together. And as you do, I want you to focus on those first two words, our Father. Because you're giving your life to our Father. Because Jesus made a way. And when you do that, you need to recognize that you belong. You're no longer an outsider. And that you have family. And that this family is here to support you and love you and walk with you through no matter what you may face. Because can I tell you this? Just because you give your life to Christ doesn't mean your life is going to get easy. Just because you decide to follow him and, 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 and follow after God's purpose for your life doesn't mean it's going to be a bed of roses. In fact, the exact opposite is probably going to hit. All hell is probably going to break loose in the next week or two weeks. But can I tell you this? Know that you're walking in the right direction. Because hell would never fight against something 
that it already has. And it no longer has your heart. It no longer has your life. It no longer has your future. So today I'm going to ask each of us to stand. And as we do, we're just going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And for you that need to commit your heart to Christ, this is going to be that moment. And for those of you that have given your heart to Christ, but maybe that it's just become lukewarm as we pray this prayer, let us all be reminded that we have a Father who loves us, who includes us, who forgives us, who provides for us. We have a brother who died for us, and he rose again so that you can have new life. Amen. Would you pray with me, Matthew 6? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, we thank you today, and Lord, we commit our lives to you. We thank you that you've grafted us into a family, that you've adopted us, that you love us. And I thank you that there's nothing in this world that can ever take us out of your hand. No trial, no tribulation, no devil in hell can take us away from your love and your purpose and your plan for our life. If you believe that, would you say amen?